the rest of that, I would probably stop right there and go, nope. I need like an hour and a half. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if I'd be able to read. Yeah. I mean, we were watching anime and I was yeah. doing pretty okay with that. And that's reading at a, at a pace. But I don't know. I don't know. ourselves here too. I don't know. But yeah. But I don't know if, if getting much more stoned would have been able to help me with that at all. Yeah. But you know what? I'm gonna take one more hit. I mean, I barely speak English as is. <laughs> Fucking stoned or not stoned. I just want to take like one, one like puff. Yeah. Just, just oh. One can't hurt, man, right? Man, it just feels so good. Oh yeah, this is the introduction to the podcast. This episode we're getting super fucking stoned. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. No, like you, you do that too. Wherever you're at. You're at work, fucking pull out a blunt before your boss. <laughs> Just fucking take a deep old drag, puff it out, say, pandemic, what the fuck you gonna do about it? You wanna take a hit? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, peer pressure. So, uh, dude, I've been saying this to everyone recently, but it has been a while since I've seen you. Mm-hmm. It is, it is currently, like, the week of Christmas. Yeah. And that's when we're recording this. But this is coming out in, like, fucking February. Okay. Um, and I haven't recorded with you since, like, September. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been months. It's been months. And I know I've been saying that a lot recently, but let me explain that. The reason I've been saying that is because I have scheduled, like, I, I created this season from a calendar perspective I told myself I am going towards episode 200 who do I want to see again before this season is over you know and I basically did like a top 10 and I said these are the 10 people I want to see before the episode 200 and I started that with I think uh, I think it was 189 with uh, with Dr. Ankenstein I was like I was like, I really want to do an episode with you. I think we saw Harold Heavyhands again. We saw Strawberry Shortcake again. We saw Deputy Dewey again. And all of those people have been on the show a whole bunch, but then there's a whole separate category of this show where someone like you, you've been on like 15 or 16 episodes. Probably. You know, Frounce has been on yeah. 26 or 27 episodes at this point. Um, and I know there was a period where I was... I think there was a period where I was third. But I know, like, more often I'm fourth in terms of, like, number of episodes. I don't have my phone on me. It's charging in the other room. But if I were to look up the stats on the computer right now, I'd say you're pretty on point with that. You're like you're like the fourth person. Yeah. No, I keep track of it. You're fourth or fifth? Because I can well, tell, I I can tell you it, right now... I, I look it up. I can tell you right now, I think it's Frowns, Django... Tamron. Yep. I think those are the top three. They've been on the most episodes. I think it goes like 
It's like 27, 24, 22. Like, like 10 rounds are really getting close to to taking over Django's spot. But luckily, yeah. we will be seeing Django in, in a couple weeks. Uh, I do get him on an episode before the 200. Nice. But yeah, uh, we're, we're kind of doing uh, a greatest hits before we get to... Uh, Shit. Episode 200, what's up? I have a lot of work to do before Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you have a little bit of work to do before Tuesday. Mm. I would say if you get home tonight, I would I would slap something together real quick. Mm, I'll, I'll work on it Monday night. <laughs> I'll push it off until I'm but, tired after work. <laughs> but I'll, I'll design it at work. And oh, I'll create okay. it. Yeah, no, that... Um, so I, actually, the I, extra day sort of helps me. I, too. I love kind of the, the times where I get to kind of, you know, like I'm I'm working from home or or the office is like rather empty. Like there are times where I get to turn around and work on, like the 200th episode just a little bit, like mm-hmm. just designing different different maps and shit, and it's just like, it's like no one, I I don't think anyone would mind. You know, the phones aren't ringing. I'm done with my work. You know. I, I I like to save as much time as possible, and yeah. it stops me from having to spend so much time on designing stuff outside of work. So there are definitely times, much like you working on your... Uh, well, I, I also get paid zero dollars an hour. That's a good point. So I can really do whatever I want and tell them to, like, you know, hey, you're not, you're not paying me right now. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Okay, I'm my, really, job, my job really doesn't function like that. Yeah, I am really fortunate that I can be in a position where I can tell my boss to go fuck himself and still have a job the next day. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to screw me later in life. Maybe. Because, like, I've, I've done that, where I've screamed at my boss and told him he's a, <laughs> a, a dick and a jackass. And yeah. I think the most, the most specific... The most recent thing that I said to him was, uh, I'll yell wherever the fuck I want to yell. In what context? Um, you were just being loud? Is it, hey, stop yelling. <laughs> no, it wasn't as simple as that. Uh, he, like, I, I don't really want to get into the specifics, but he he was in the wrong, and I was in the right, and he wasn't ready to admit it, so I kind of... Got like, heated? Yeah. Because it, it cost me a lot of money, you know? Like, uh, I work in commission... Uh, I did it something cost me... pretty similar at work the other day, so I I can understand the kind of getting heated and, and just yeah. your volume raises because the other person isn't listening. I had a, a situation where I waited at work. I waited two weeks to confirm something for someone. I kept I kept asking, and things kept getting taken from me, and. It took me two fucking weeks to get back to someone about something that should have taken three days. And the person then comes downstairs and then tells me that I didn't follow the group instructions and that I did I was in the wrong and that I didn't I didn't I took something that they needed and I was just like, You don't understand what I've been dealing with for the last two weeks. You just come downstairs and you say one thing because you haven't seen the rest of it happening somewhere else. And and I just I just my volume got <laughs> I was just like you aren't fucking listening, <laughs> and and that doesn't that that never looks good in front of anyone. And uh, but the funny part is my manager sitting behind me didn't say a fucking word. Yeah, 
I don't think she understood the context of why we were yelling. So I think she just kind of said, ah, let them, let them get it out of their systems. Mm-hmm. But hey, Sunday fun day. Yeah. Chilling, smoking a blunt, hanging out, watching anime. Yo, shout out to Crunchyroll. Having a having a real nice time, spending my free time watching uh, watching some animes, some good ones too. Yeah. I'm like you said earlier. You summed it up already in in much shorter words, which is good for fat boy <laughs> in future yep. content consumption. <laughs> oh, we fat boy friendly here. <laughs> Shame we're not reading, like, another fat kid story. Like, because I have more of them. I'm just... No. It hurt. <laughs> Veto. You did, you did get sad last time. You are like, yeah. this story made me feel bad about myself. <laughs> uh, no. We're gonna read something a lot more fucked up tonight. <laughs> we're reading, um... We're reading four short stories, which is gonna be a little bit different than what you're used to. Usually with you, I read one big story that takes over the entire episode, or I read, um, like, two shorter stories, or we're into a story that takes place over multiple episodes. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the only things I've done with you, but we're going to do an episode where we just kind of read shorter ones, and, you know, they're each going to take up a little chunk of time, and we're going to, you know, get through, uh, get through each of them, but, uh. I, I think we have four really cool fucking stories here in front of us. Um, the first one to introduce this, uh, I recently read a story called Feed the Pig. And Feed the Pig was really, uh, was really interesting. Um, and anyone who listened to that solo episode knows, knows that, because it kind of has this whole, uh, this whole kind of interpreted, uh, new creative approach, new interpretation of the afterlife, which I've never seen in any type of fiction before. Um, it's like a, it's like an offshoot of purgatory. It's an offshoot of heaven and hell. It's an offshoot of our dimension. This, this guy just basically wrote, wrote up this whole new dimension and called it the black farm and feed the pig takes place on the black farm and the porn fields of cog seven, which I'm about to read also takes place on the Black Farm. It's an offshoot of the Black Farm, which is supposed to be, like, purgatory, essentially. We got high and didn't introduce me. Do we need to introduce you? Where am I? There you go. You saw the card. You know who it is. You know what we're doing. We're doing the fucking stories, and I'm ready to read one. I'm ready to read the porn fields of Cog 7. Okay. What does the, what does the title make you think? Because um, you have no you have no concepts. Yeah, it, I'm. The black farm is a completely unrelated idea. <laughs> the porn fields of Cog Seven. So, part of me thinks they're growing DVDs. Nice. Right, like that's what I'm sort of envisioning. Endless content. Yeah, just like, <laughs> and and part of me knows that obviously it's it's a little bit more degenerate and fucked up than that. Oh, absolutely. It's nothing to do with porn. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but I still, I imagine it as, like, they're, like, you know, going out watering their plants and, like, a little porn DVD grows out of the tree. And no, you understand the concept. You definitely, you're there. It's just you're thinking about porn. Okay. 
So let me, so let me explain. I think I knew about COG-7 well before I went there. Growing up, I always had a sense of it, an intuition, that there were realities beyond our own. I can't remember exactly when I first felt the presence of the raindrop world, but I was young. I suffered from night terrors between the age of six and seven, and I think that's when I began to sense something past the walls of our universe. You see, when I had these nightmares, I could always see something. Something past the dream. It was like an optical illusion hidden inside an elaborate painting. It's hard to explain. I remember one nightmare where I was hiding in a tree, terrified as a werewolf hunted the ground for my scent. I clutched the dark branches, tears running down my face, and looked at the full moon hovering in the empty sky. And I could see something behind the moon. It was like this long stretch of black, like a hallway or ventilation shaft composed and crafted out of something darker than the night. It stretched away from the moon, sucked deep into the sky like a metal vein. It reminded me of the image you get when you reflect two mirrors into one another. Now, initially, I just chalked it up as part of the nightmare, but as my night terrors persisted, I continued to see that strange tunnel of darkness. It wasn't always in the sky. Sometimes I would see it behind a building, disappearing into the floor, or even extending out of someone's head. I didn't know what to make of it. It was the only constant in my dreams, and as I outgrew the nightmares, I began to see the black hallway in other places. I would see it in movies, posters, cloud formations, and even in the darkness of my home. At times, it was so faint, I thought I was imagining it. Other times, it was so clear that I felt my breath hitch in my chest, a sharp reminder of the fears I suffered as a child. I thought about mentioning it to my doctor, convinced it was a fault in my vision, but deep down I knew that wasn't the case, and yet the strangeness of it continued to insist logical reason into my confused mind, and finally I went and saw an eye doctor and was told what I already knew, which was I was fine, nothing wrong with my eyes, perfect vision, and so I endured the strange blips. Sometimes the dark passages would last a couple of seconds, other times they would flash quickly into existence and then disappear like a magician was tapping his wand against my mind. I learned to live with it, I suppose. Occasionally I'd dream about the weird hallway, that dark square that stretched so far it disappeared into the horizon like an inky air vent. I mentioned it to my friends a time or two and they said I should get my head checked. I thanked them for their obvious input and uh, continued to ignore the enigma as best I could. But then it happened when I was driving. And that's what pushed me over the edge, right down the tar black throat of COG-7. I was on my way to work, just a normal Wednesday morning. I was half finished with my coffee, one hand on the wheel, the other groggily gripping my mug. And the morning talk show I was listening to was discussing the benefits of AI and potential perks it could provide if technology continued its progress. I took a slow sip of coffee, my eyes trained over the lip of my mug on the and the car in front of me, and that's when it happened. The dark hallway exploded across my vision, filling the windshield, the sky, my entire world. It was like I was driving into the mouth of a dark tunnel, completely devoid of light, sound, everything. I spun the wheel, spilling my coffee, a scream rising in my throat. Bang! 
I jerked hard against my seatbelt as fast as I felt my car smash into something, but I couldn't see, I couldn't see anything. The black pressed in around the windows as whiplash rocked up my spine. Something slammed into the side of my car, but again I was blinded by the endless hallway that continued to grow before me, expanding and now rippling like sound waves were pulsing down the walls towards me. Pain split my head as it connected with the steering wheel, and I felt blood leak into my eyes as they sputtered shut, and then I was fading. Good night, world. Sorry about the mess. Something is clearly wrong with me. I opened my eyes and crawled to my feet. Grass licked my hands and grit clung to my palms. A breeze stirred my hair across my forehead, and I placed a hand to my head. No blood no pain. I continued to inspect myself, noticing almost casually that I wasn't in my car any longer. After confirming that I wasn't injured, I brushed my hands together and looked up, a single thought bubbling to the forefront of my mind. This is the end of the hallway. I almost fell back down as the sight before me swarmed my vision with startling absurdity. I was standing on the edge of a grassy cliff overlooking an endless field of green that stretched to the very corners of horizon. As I squinted down at the world, I realized that the expanse of color wasn't grass but corn stalks. Rows and rows of it, tall and ripe and full of life, swaying happily in the gentle wind. But there was something off about them. I gazed down at fields, scrubbing my eyes that were impossible and, and the impossible sharpened into my focus. They weren't just corn stalks, they were people. But also corn? What on earth? <laughs> I muttered, soaking in the bizarre details of this strange phenomenon. The corn, or people, I should say, were buried in the dirt up to their knees. Their human bodies were naked except for the sheaves and stalks of greenery that jutted from their skin like some kind of growth. Their hair was like golden silk spilling down their tanned flesh and across the protruding spouts that rose out of their shoulders, arms, stomachs, and legs. I stepped back from the ledge, mind spinning at the strange sight. The rows of corn people continued to sway in the wind, smiles plastered across their faces like this was all completely normal. There were just so many. And then I looked into the sky, and for a second time I almost fell back down. An absolutely massive yellow sun filled the heavens, its blinding rays spilling down onto the corn people like the gentle fingers of a caring mother. In the center of the sun, though, was a colossal lever, an odd metal protrusion that contrasted any logical sense I had come to understand. Gripping the lever was a titanic creature looming over the world. It was vaguely human in shape, but bulkier and composed of iron and steam and towering smokestacks that extended from its shoulders like cannons. The great creaking creature was slowly rotating the lever in a slow, circular motion spinning a massive cog built into the center of the sun. Smoke poured from the towers on its shoulders, its skin slick with oil that streamed down its metal-plated face like sweat. Its eyes were two endless wells of darkness, the only features that painted its immense square head. I traced down its body, catching seams in its metal skin, plates of iron and enormous bolts that constructed and held together its figure. What is this? I asked breathlessly 
Eyes wide, heart racing, I spun around to stare at the cliff at my back and saw that I was on an isolated rise, a steep grassy slope that sharply dropped down into the world below, and I shook my head, disbelief rattling me. That's when I felt something poke my leg. Boop. <laughs> I jumped, almost tumbling off the cliff, a cry springing from my lips. I looked down and saw a child, no older than four years old, staring up at me. He too was clothed in stalks of corn that spun and protruded from his tiny body, a shock of short golden silk tumbling down his face over his chubby rosy cheeks. His massive blue eyes sparkled as they met mine, a smile turning the corners of his face to reveal tiny white teeth. Got ya! He giggled, wiggling his finger at me. I blinked and tried to find my voice, tried to understand just what the hell was going on, and the kid just stared at me, his pudgy cheeks bulging beneath those big blue eyes. He started wiggling his pointer finger at me again. Here he comes! Here he comes! I almost laughed at the absurdity of what was happening. The little boy took a step closer, holding his finger out like a knife. Don't let it touch you! He laughed, taking another exaggerated step towards me. I finally discovered how to speak again and cleared my throat. Hey, cut it out. Who are you? What? Or where, where am I? I? <laughs> the kid dropped his hand to his side, disappointed. Aw, you're no fun. Don't you want to play? I want to know what the hell this place is, I sputtered, shaking my head. What the hell are all those people? What are you? And what's that? That massive metal thing over there? The kid rolled his eyes dramatically, voice ripe with sarcasm. What's the matter with you, mister? Never been here before or something? I barked a laugh, the seams of my mind beginning to fray. Does it look like I'm from around here? The kid furrowed his brow at me. Hey, don't yell at me! He raised his finger menacingly. Or I'm gonna have to boop you again! He wiggled his tiny finger and then fell into a fit of giggles. I got down on one knee, sizing up the strange small boy, and at this proximity I noticed that the sheaths of green protruding from his skin looked almost like strips of cloth. Don't. Please don't boot me again, I said, trying to calm myself. I'm just confused and have no idea how I got here or what this place is. The boy's eyes grew wide in disbelief. Are you lost, mister? I snapped my fingers. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. I'm lost, and I need to figure out how to go home. The kid suddenly got a smug look in his eyes. I guess you need my help, huh? I nodded. Yes, please. Something happened to me. I don't think I'm supposed... To. I, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. The kid snorted and crossed his little arms over his bare chest. Obviously. I suddenly felt inexplicably irritated at this weird little corn boy, and so I reached out and pinched his fat cheek. Hey, don't get smart with me, a little weirdo. Ow! The kid cried, jerking his head away, an exaggerated display of pain shocking his face. He rubbed his cheek with stubby fingers and glared at me. Don't do that! I started to laugh, the shock and bizarre shift in realities flooding my mind with confused and panicked madness, and so I laughed, unable to help myself. Oh man, 
I said, wiping a tear from my eye. I'm sorry, kid. Really, this is just... Well, this is really weird for me. The kid was still massaging his pizza dough cheek. You're really weird. You don't even have any stalks on you. I stared down at my bare arms. What are they? What are the stalks? What are you people? The kid sniffed and turned his almost too big head away from me. Hmm. I suddenly flapped my thumb against my pointer finger in a pinching motion. Hey, don't make me squeeze your fat little cheek again. The kid turned back to me, stomping his foot. I'm not fat! <laughs> Here it comes, I said, floating my fingers closer. The kid suddenly burst out laughing, giving in. Okay, okay! I lowered my hand. The kid pointed at himself. My name's Bip! <laughs> I don't know what my name is! <laughs> Where am I? Where am I? I bit my lip, trying not to explode with laughter. Bip? <laughs> the kid picked up on my mocking tone. Oh yeah, what's your dumb name? I fought to regain control of myself and managed to get out my name. I'm Jack. The kid Bip sneered at me. What a stupid name! I felt like slapping his squished tiny fat face, but instead jerked a thumb over my shoulder. And what's all this? Where am I? Who are those corn people? Bip sighed. Those are my parents, and the big one turning the sun is Malzroth. He keeps the sun alive so the world doesn't die before harvest. Harvest? I asked, cocking an eyebrow. The kid nodded, taking an authoritative tone, probably mimicking how he, was how he thought adults talked. Yeah, when I grow big enough, I'll be planted down there with the rest of them, and then the crow will come and feed us. I held up a hand. Hold on. Hold on, kid, you're losing me. Biff waved a little hand at me. The crow sprays us for the harvest. That's how we know it's time. After that, all those parents down there... He leaned in now, motioning for me to come closer, his voice dropping to a whisper. They all have sex. I blinked, what? <laughs> Suddenly, Biff pointed out over the cliff. Look, there's a crow now. He's going to spray all the parents down there. He started bouncing up and down excitedly. Oh boy, it's time, it's time. Oh boy, Mr. Jack, you're in for a show. Bewildered, I turned my back to the strange corn child and stared out across the fields below me. My eyes grew wide as something grew along the horizon, a massive shape walking on spindly legs between the rows of human stalks. It was an enormous scarecrow. Its overstuffed head spilled hay like hair beneath a wide-brimmed hat. Its clothes were rags that hung over an impossibly thin body, its arms extending to end its fingers like mangled bales of straw. Its shadow sprawled long across the rows of corn people as it made its way through them, its legs taking it through the rows in long strides. As it walked, it suddenly pulled its baggy pants down, and I felt my stomach flip as something long and brown flopped into the hay-filled fingers. Without slowing, it began to stroke the odd member, shucking it vigorously into erection. Nauseous waves churned my gut, and I took a step back as the crow began to spray gouts of yellow goo from its horrible erection over the waiting fields of people. 
I'm just a- imagining Atlas's penis right here. No, stop it. <laughs> a cry of elation rose from the waiting subjects below. Hands appraised and mouths open as the subjects were splattered with a disgusting substance. It's doing the fucking corkscrew the like, whole time in the see, air. I'm, I'm just imagining a big corn dude just fucking coming butter all over this <laughs> corn people. <laughs> yeah, but he's coming out of this fucking floppy little twisty dick. The duck penis. No, they said it's a big old black, big old black dick. Correct. <laughs> but it's still shaped like the duck penis. No, you're thinking of this spindly, spindly duck yeah. penis. I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining this not, crow that to was just not, have the biggest it's spindle not a dick. Crow. It's not a bird, it's a scarecrow, it's a person. Yeah. <laughs> Why would a person have a bird dick? Because it's called the crow. As soon as the corn people were sprayed, they began to pull themselves from the soil. And I watched in horror as they found one another, wrapping their bodies together in lustful urgency. And then they began to fuck. Hundreds of thousands of them, all covered in the crow's goo, pulling their legs from the earth and desperately falling into a pile of ecstasy and desire. Didn't seem to matter who they were fucking, each person grabbing the closest body and pulling themselves together to fulfill a sudden sexual hunger. Moans filled the sky, and I placed a hand over my mouth in disgust and shock. Told you! Bip suddenly sat at my side. I looked down and saw him standing next to me, arms crossed, a smile on his face. I quickly covered his eyes. Hey, don't watch this! He slapped my hand away. Let me see! I'm not a baby! I subsided too enraptured by the mountains of corn people lost in rolling passion and sexual lust. The scarecrow continued its trek across the field still spraying the ooze over the waiting crowd. All of this observed by the towering metal giant turning the gear in the sun. This is so fucked up I whispered and Bip giggled. No it's not. This is how we live here in COG 7. My eyes never left the fields of endless fucking voiced a whisper. Cog 7? Bip nodded matter-of-factly. Yeah, uh, that's where this is, dummy. It's a raindrop world. Still watching the crow, I asked in awe, what does that mean? Bip, still grinning at the scene below us, answered firmly. When creation was formed, there were splashes of life that splattered into the far corners of existence. Think of existence as a big ocean. When God formed the universe... He looked at me sideways. Probably your universe, anyway. Uh, but anyways, when he created the universe, it was like dripping a massive boulder into an ocean of possibilities. The ocean formed around the boulder, uh, around the four realities that compose your universe. And those are, I asked, captivated. Bip counted them on his stubby fingers. Heaven, hell, earth, and the farm. Again, you're losing me, kid, I said, mind reeling. Bip let out an exasperated sigh. Basically, when God created the universe and the Big Bang happened, some of that power splashed into the far corners of reality and existence. Little mini-worlds that dot the vast oceans of creation, like the stars in the sky. Cog 7 is one of those. We call them raindrop worlds tiny little ecosystems that are self-sustaining and abide by their own set of rules. God doesn't care about us, though, because we're so small and unimportant. Uh, we're also super far away from the other four major realities he initially made, so we're not really worth his time. 
I was staring down at him, mouth open. Holy shit, for such a chubby little minion, you sure do know a lot about this. And Bip shrugged like it was no big deal. Guess I have a beautiful mind or something, huh? I barked a short laugh and shook my head, trying desperately to make sense of what he was saying. So hold on. There's more of these places, little micro-realities that were created as an after-effect, uh, a result of God's power splashing across existence during the creation of Earth? Bip stuck his lip out like he was a big shot. Yep, that's right. Raindrop worlds. Uh, there's Cog 7, the Red West, Shimmer Vale, uh, a weird beach one I don't know the name of, uh, the Chrome Sky, it just goes on and on. We're all part of the raindrop system that formed after God's big bang. A splash of life and a creation that was sucked into the farthest corners of existence. I shook my head grasping for sanity, but... But how the hell? Bip looked up at me, his rosy cheeks glowing. Sometimes people from your world catch glimpses of raindrop worlds. Uh, usually you see them in your dreams or nightmares. Uh, tiny, unsuspecting veins of reality that snake through existence. You see, even though we're all so distant and removed from each other, we're still connected because we were all born from the same source. Sometimes these worlds collide and even encroach one another. That's probably why you're here. Did you dream about this place? I nodded dumbly, completely blown away. Yeah. When I was a kid, I started seeing glimpses of this, like, this hallway or passage. It was everywhere. And then it wasn't just in my dreams. It was in my waking world as well. And Bip raised a finger triumphantly. Yep. Once you can see the seams, you can never unsee them. They become more and more insistent and begin to pull at your mind. I don't really know why, but that's just how it is. In your case, you saw the seams as a... He looked up at me. You said a hallway? Weird. Never heard of that before. So it just pulled me here, into COG-7, because, because I knew about it, I cried. Something like that, Bip said turning back to watch the continuous orgy below us. But that wouldn't be enough. Did something happen to you? I raked a hand through my hair. I don't know. I think I was in a car accident right before I woke up here. And Bip snapped his little fingers. That explains it. What do you mean? Bip chuckled. I think you're almost dead. What? Bip groaned. Stop yelling. You're not dead. Or would you have would have gone to your assigned afterlife since you're from one of the big four? But you said Bip held up a finger. I said you're almost dead. Your soul was pulled here because it doesn't know where to go right now. You're in between, and since you've had Cog Seven pulling at your mind in your whole life, you woke up here. For now. How do you know where I'm from? I practically screamed. Bip sighed patiently. Because we've had another from your world end up here uh, a long time ago. He looked like you, except he didn't have a dumb name like Jack. And you remember that? How old are you? Bip sniffed. Old? You mean how many harvests am I? Seventy-six. My jaw dropped. Look, 
Pip continued. This is all very unimportant right now. Just sit back and watch the show. You'll either wake up in your world soon, or your soul will be sent along to where it's supposed to go. Okay? I felt madness crash into my skull like falling trees, one more thunderous than the last, bringing with them cracks in my psyche. How could any of this be possible? How could reality ripple so broadly beyond the one I knew? And yet, here I was, watching thousands of corn people fornicate beneath a machine sun. I collected myself as best as I could, shuffling reason and order back into their respective slots, turning my eyes back to the crow. It was disappearing into the horizon, leaving in its wake a trail of squirming, squirting, seizing sex slaves. As the procession continued, I watched with upsetting fascination as the corn people began to jerk and shudder, their bodies suddenly bloating. They pulled themselves off one another and lay down side by side in the dirt, clasping hands. Baby time! Bip giggled, rubbing his chunky hands together. The corn people continued to bloat like balloons filling with air, and then from between their legs something began to emerge against my better judgment. I shaded my eyes and looked closer at one of the couples and what they were birthing. It was a piece of corn protruding from a swollen orifice just below their genitalia. The bloating traveled through the canal, and I saw a head of corn attached to a motionless child, just a little smaller than Bip. I couldn't believe they could pass through without ripping something, but nonetheless, shoulders slipped through, then arms, then legs, finally to flop out, their parents to lay unmoving on the ground. The parents sighed with relief and sat up, turning over their new child, eyes alight. They gripped the piece of corn, jutting from its head and violently snapped it off, tossing the growth aside like it was garbage. Immediately, the newborn opened its eyes and smiled, climbing to its feet and hugging its parents. My eyes traveled across the fields and I saw thousands of similar scenes, each one bringing another tree crashing into my skull. What the fuck? As the newborns awoke, they began to line up and march out of the fields, heading for the base of the cliff I was on. The parents groggily got to their feet, waving goodbye, exhausted satisfaction glowing around each of them. Where are they going? I whispered, eyes wide. Bit pointed at his feet. We live below the hill until it's our time to take our parents' place. Look, here comes the replacements now. And sure enough, the new children passed through a mass of slightly older corn people, the two crowds mingling and then passing by one another. The parents who had just birthed were now turning away from us, slowly walking towards the horizon, towards the colossal metal giant Malzroth. What are they doing? I asked, breathless. Bip sighed. They've done their part. And now that they have been uprooted, they walk the last part of their journey. Malzroth will consume them and use their bodies as fuel to continue turning the great sun. Uh, keeping the cycle of life in motion. I suddenly gripped my chest as I felt something like lightning shoot through it. I gasped and went down on one knee, groaning, and Bip just looked at me like he knew what was happening. Gritting my teeth, still clutching my chest, I looked up at New Flock, who had passed the recently birthed. They were burrowing themselves into the fields, replacing their elders and burying their body up to their knees. And now they will grow strong. Bip said, almost in awe. To await their own harvest. It's pretty neat, huh? 
Something rocked through my chest again, and I squeezed my eyes shut, gripping my heart as pain flared through it. Through tear-filled eyes, I saw the old husks form a long formation and march heavily towards Maul's Roth, their final resting place. A third jolt ripped through me, and I fell onto my back, wheezing. What the hell was going on? I think your world is trying to call you back, Bip said sadly. I'm gonna miss you, Jack. You're kind of dumb, but I like you. I lay panting, waiting for the agony in my chest to subside, and Bip shuffled over and knelt down next to me, and he gently stroked my shoulder, almost affectionately. Bye, Jack. He said softly and then extended his finger one last time, a big goofy grin on his chubby face. Boop! As his pudgy finger pressed into my cheek, I spasmed hard and screamed, my body arching in agony as the world spun and realigned color and sound and smell swirling together only to be lost in groaning empty darkness. I awoke in an ambulance, screaming and batted away hands that hung over me. I was covered in sweat, pain spiking through every fiber of my body, and I gasped and cried, spinning in the stretcher, the wail of a siren blaring over me. An EMT hovered over me, eyes wide in his hands. He held paddles of a defibrillator. Hey, he's back with us, he cried to the driver. Step on it. He's still bleeding internally, and we don't know what else was broken in the crash. Go! Panting, shock rattling me. I realized I was back in my world, and then I just started to laugh. Big, painful heaves of braying madness. Tears rolled down my face and my body screamed in protest, but I could not stop myself. What in the hell had I just witnessed? It's Pornfields of Cog7. It's a fun little story. Yeah. (laughs) I like that one. I like that author. I've read three or four of his other stories. There's a really good story in a Christmas episode we do. I think it's literally episode five or six of the show. He wrote something we read. It's like a Christmas land. It's like a fucked up Polar Express. Okay. These uh, these hands come down the chimney at night and start talking to kids and they lure them to come over to the chimney and they grab them and they take them to like a Christmas world where essentially like Santa is feeding off of like the souls of children. That makes sense. Something to that effect? Yeah. Gotta get his energy from somewhere. Right. Accomplish some weird <laughs> fucked up shit. Right. Um, and like I said, he that, that author also read Feed the Pig, which is a really great episode. Um, uh, definitely check that out. I believe it was the episode before this one. I hope people liked that one. Its connection to COG-7 is, is small, but it's, it's still mentioned, they said. It's one of the four realities. It's a place between... Uh, Heaven and Hell, um, kind of like Purgatory, the farm. Very, very cool. Very interesting. Uh, I'm going to let uh, Where Am I read this next one. Uh, it's it's another No Sleep. Uh, it's entitled, Good God, Just How Old Am I? I need water and a blanket. You need water and a blanket? Yes. Requirements. <laughs> Got your water? Yeah. Got your blanket? Yeah. As a professional genealogist and a local historian, I've come across some weird things in the forgotten pages of history. Fat boy (laughs) ran up some stairs. (laughs) 
I first dove into genealogy because I wanted to know where I came from. Not as in, I wanted to know what countries my ancestors immigrated to America from. Rather, as in, I wanted to know where I came as an individual from. Uh, my memory begins at 14 years ago when I was about 18 years old. Prior to that point in time is complete amnesia. I remember awakening in a hospital room that seemed too white. I studied my surroundings, the white walls, white drapes, white tile floor, white bed sheets, all the same shade of white, no less. I felt calm, as though all of this were normal. When a nurse came in and noticed I had woken up, she asked me what my name was, how old I was, and where I lived. I knew none of the answers. With a concerned expression, she asked me if I knew what year it was, or if I knew who the president was, or if I knew what state I was in. I continued to draw blanks. I asked her why my body was so bandaged up. She explained to me that I was in a hospital in Ohio and had been struck by a vehicle in a hit and run. Uh, there had been no identification on my person. They had been waiting for me to come out of my coma for the last three days hoping I could tell them who I was. I apologized for not being able to help, and then felt silly, as if I had any control over my lack of memory. As the nurse turned to leave and fetch the doctor, I found myself blurting out as if my mouth were controlled by another person. Bramwell Lindman! The nurse faced me. Bramwell Lindman? Is that your name? I paused. That didn't feel right. No. I, I am pretty sure that's not my name. I don't know why I said that. I knew the name must have meant something to me before the accident, but I didn't know what. The doctor came in and examined me. I heard him say, Caucasian male, approximately 18 years of age. After a litany of tests, the doctor contacted the police department to inform them that I was now conscious and speaking. Two officers came and took a very unhelpful statement from me regarding the accident. Uh, when they learned of my amnesia, they searched through countless missing persons reports, but no matches were found. Though my story was mentioned two nights in a row on the local news, and the an anchors asked anyone who recognized my photo to call the hospital and claim me. No one did. After recuperating in the hospital for a few more days, the staff declared me fit to leave. Uh, I wandered out into the streets with no name, no wallet, no money, no home, no knowledge of my surroundings. Uh, they called me Jane Doe in the hospital. John Doe. John, they, yeah. They called me John Doe in the hospital, so that is the name I've stuck with since the year 2000. Uh, I lived on the streets for a couple of weeks, uh, then moved into a shelter, and secured part-time employment. I soon found a small apartment. Uh, I seemed to have an excellent grasp on math, reading, and science, indicating that I had already attended high school. However, with no identity to prove it, I had to start over. I earned my GED and then found enough scholarships and student loans to put myself through college. 
A few years ago, I married the love of my life, Daphne. A true testament to her love for me, she insists on taking my legal surname, Doe, even at the expense of having a name with goofy alliteration. In, uh, in climbing the social ladder and building a normal and successful life, I had an advantage over many of the homeless friends that I had made in my younger years, and that I didn't seem to have any addictions or major health problems, other than lingering soreness from the hit and run. While I managed well without knowing my true origins, the question always nagged at me in the back of my mind. One day I saw an internet ad for Ancestry.com. The first name I searched for on that website was the name I blurted out in the hospital room. Bromwell Lindman. No exact hits. There were some results for individuals named B. Lindman, but upon further investigation, each turned out to be a Balthasar. Balthazar. Balthazar, or Bertha, or a Bryant. My heart leapt when I found a record for Bram Lindman, but soon found out that the individual's full first name was Abram. Once I started, I could not stop. I expanded my search results to the offline world and found myself at the library studying past issues of local newspapers for any clues as to my origin. Going to area schools, looking through nearby high school yearbooks for any photos that resembled me, I became adept at navigating old records, and friends began to ask me to research their family history for them. Uh, this turned into a full-time business for me, but I have never stopped searching for my own origins. I have taken a DNA tests for Y-DNA, mitochondrial DNA, and ethnicity. These tests matched me with a handful of other users and claimed that, based on our DNA similarities, we were approximately sixth cousins or so, indicating that my uh, five times great-grandparents, whoever they were, were also probably uh, ancestors of these other users. However, these DNA databases have never pinpointed a close cousin of mine. Uh, considering that, bearing any inbreeding, every person has 128 uh, one, yeah, 128 great-great, you know, five great-grandparents, because you have two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, uh, 16 great-great-grandparents, and so on. Uh, determining which of these 128 ancestors is the one that I share with each of these users is impossible. Every so often throughout the years, I've made a post on this or that internet genealogy forum asking if anyone has ever come across a Bromwell Lindman in their research, would they please get in touch with me? Uh, I have, I've never gotten a response. In fits of discouragement, I would go back months later and delete these unnoticed po posts of mine from the forums. The humorous irony of someone who doesn't know their own name, let alone their ancestry, becoming an expert on other people's history has never been lost on my wife, friends, and colleagues. 
a month ago. I went out on a limb and made another post to a forum asking about information on Bromwell Lindman. The next morning, I received an email with the title, Bromwell Lindman. Though I had just gotten out of bed and not even had my coffee yet, one of my senses became alert in an instant. The body of the message reads as follows. Dear researcher, I saw on forum name that you had inquired about Bromwell Lindemann. In my late grandmother's box of family history documents, there were several photographs with names written on the backs that I have never been able to place. On the back of one of these old photographs is written what seems to be Bromwell Lindemann. Although it is written sloppily, I have scanned the photograph and attached the image to this email. Perhaps this can be of assistance to you, and perhaps you can tell me more about who this man was. My grandmother was born and raised in Vinton, Iowa, so the fellow in the photograph may have also lived there or nearby. Sincerely, name redacted to protect his privacy. My fingers trembled. I clicked the attachment and uploaded the scanned image of the photograph. As the top rows of pixels loaded, I noticed the age brownish yellowness of the photo. By the coloring alone, it was probably a hundred years old. The rows of pixels continued to load downward. The man's hair was neat and oiled. What is this? 2005? Loading a fucking pixel row at Yeah, time. some DSL fucking yeah. shitty modem. <laughs> uh, the rows of pixels continued to load downward. The man's hair was neat and oiled. As his forehead, then his eyes, then his nose, and his chin came into view. My jaw lowered. It was me. Or rather, someone who looked identical to me. This man could be my great-grandfather. The resemblance was mind-blowing. I replied to the sender, lavishly thanks upon him for sending the photograph. Then I put down everything and booked a flight to Des Moines. Des Moines. Yeah, that. Des Moines. Booked a flight to Des Moines. For the next day. After arriving in Des Moines, I trekked straight to the Iowa State Historic Society Library to set work looking for Mr. Lindman. I searched all of the county deaths, all the county death records in Brenton County, where the town of Vinton is located and all surrounding counties for Bramwell Lindman. It seems to be a common last name in that area, but no Bramwell Lindman could be found having died in that area. I then pulled out the case, case after case, of microfilm containing issues of newspapers from Vinton and the surrounding areas. I spent hours rolling through these issues, through issue after issue, of microfilmed newspaper, and I began to lose hope. Not much time left until the library closed. That's when I saw it. A small newspaper blurb buried in the wall of a text in a June 1900 edition. The name in the text caught my eye and wouldn't let go. B. Lindman kills wife and child, read the tiny headline. The article stated, Bromwell Lindemann, local farmer, 23 years of age, walked into police station Monday to confess to the murder of his wife of five years, Catherine, and their three-year-old son, Quentin. 
He stated to police that he revived from a daze to find himself covered in blood and digging through his wife and son's entrails with a knife. He claimed not to remember what had happened and no longer remembered his name or who he was, but said he knew he had done something wicked and set out to find a police station to confess so that justice might be done. Mr. Lindemann was taken under arrest pending further investigation. Chills ran down my spine. This man, from over a century ago, who bore a striking resemblance to me, also suffered from an inexplainable case of amnesia. Perhaps this man really is my ancestor. Perhaps there is some genetic trait that I inherited from him that causes these strange bouts of amnesia. However, the fact that Bromwell awoke from his amnesia to find himself mutilating the corpses of loved ones disturbs me. I pressed onward through the newspaper editions, finding an article a month later stating that Bromwell had been sentenced to seven years in the Anamosa State Prison. The judge explained the relatively lenient sentencing as being due to the fact that Bromwell seems to have committed the act in a moment of temporary insanity and, in, and appeared genuinely penitent. Uh, I jumped ahead seven years in the old newspapers to 1907, when Bromwell would have been released. Sure enough, there was one minuscule mention of him in the local gossip section of the paper. B. Lindemann, formerly of this town, was recently released from Anamosa. In order to try to forget his sordid past, he has opted to legally change his name to Lamar Smith and moved northwest to conduct his farming near the town of Millard. I sat back in my chair, stunned for a moment. I had finally found Bromwell Lindman, and furthermore, discovered what, he had be- what had become of him. I could not stop just yet. I found the town of Mallard in Palo Alto, Alto County and set out to work researching that com- county's records for Lamar Smith. I found him in the 1910 federal census records, his name slightly misspelled. He was a single farmer and claimed to be only 20 years old. That didn't seem right. He was said to have been about 23 when he was arrested in 1900, meaning he was born about 1977. That means he should be about 33 in the 1910 census. I went forward a decade and found Lamar Smith in the same area again in the 1920 census. Still single, still a farmer, He claimed to be 20 years old in this census. By now, he should have been 43. There was no way he could have passed for a mere 20. Why was he giving these reports to the census takers? I did not find Lamar Smith in the area in the 1930 federal census records, but there were no records of him dying and being buried in the region either. Uh, I again returned to the microfilmed newspapers. Sure enough, I found an edition of an area newspaper from 1925 
which reads, Local farmer's family brutally murdered. Ed Anlicker, farmer east of town, awoke to a gruesome sight in his home yesterday morning. His neighbor, Mr. Lamar Smith, had stabbed Mr. Anlicker's wife and four children to death in their sleep. And Mr. Smith was found. He was consuming the blood and innards of his victims. After being taken into custody by the sheriff, Mr. Smith had no explanation for his actions, and furthermore claimed to have forgotten who and where he was. Mr. Smith has no known relatives in the area. He began farming here nearly 20 years ago, and while neighbors say he is a peculiar man who kept to himself, he was always hailed as a kindly and youthful man who seems as young today as he is remembered being two decades ago, his crimes being extreme shock and sorrow to the community. Below the article was printed a grainy black and white photo with the caption, L. Smith. This man was definitely Bromwell Lindman, and indeed it appeared that he had not aged a day. Pressing onward through the newspapers, I discovered Lamar Smith having been sentenced to 30 years, once again to be served in Anamosa. By now, the library was closing. I got a hotel room in Des Moines for the night, and the next day took a rental car to Anamosa to investigate their old records. Lamar Smith, it seems, had been released on good behavior after only 25 years. After leaving prison in 1950, he disappeared from the records. I scoured Ancestry.com, NewspaperArchive.com, and other research. Countless Lamar Smiths flooded my results. But one stood out a 1950 newspaper from Spokane, Washington that said a local man uh, a young local man named Lamar Smith was seen wallowing in the blood of a homeless man he had murdered when confronted by a passerby Lamar took on a blank and confused facial expression and ran away his whereabouts were not known at this point the trail for Lamar Smith went dead cold. I could find no further reference to Lamar Smith matching what I knew about this man. I took a flight home, feeling defeated. I spent days trying every research method I could in order to locate what had happened to Lamar Smith after fleeing the murder scene in Spokane, but I came up empty. Earlier this week, inspiration struck. A different angle occurred to me. Use specific keywords. I searched newspapers on newspaperarchive.com for article about a man who murdered and then suffered amnesia. I found one. The article was from a 1975 edition of a Sacramento, California newspaper. The murderer, who gave no name for himself, was described as a transient hippie who had a had the appearance of being on some kind of drugs, but tested negative for all known drugs. The murderer had wandered into a campground on the outskirts of the city and slaughtered a family of four with his bare hands, then partially devoured some of the remains. He claimed to suffer amnesia. Next to the newspaper article was a mugshot photograph of the man, bearded, long-haired, shirtless, 
and shoulders draped in stereotypical beaded necklaces. But that face... I pressed my thumb over the beard and focused on the forehead, eye, and nose. There was no mistaking it. This man was a twin of Bromwell Lindman, of Lamar Smith, and of me. A subsequent issue of the newspaper stated that the hippie killer had been sentenced to 25 years in prison and had been processed under the temporary name John Doe until his true identity could be ascertained. I contacted the prison and inquired about this John Doe. The Institute's records indicate that this man had been released from prison in June of 2000. I requested a copy of the man's last mugshot, and after much jumping through hoops, finally received it in the mail. Joe, John Doe's last prison mugshot was taken in June 2000, showed the same man pictured in 1975 newspaper. He was now clean-shaven and not aged a day. Without the facial hair, he looked even younger than before, if that was possible. I stared at the photograph. I stared in the mirror. Then back to the photograph. I was looking at a picture, not of some random criminal or some ancestor of mine. I was looking at a picture of me, exactly as I looked 14 years ago at the time of the incident exactly as I look right now. Am I the Sacramento murderer? Am I Lamar Smith? Am I Bromwell Lindman? If so, then how goddamn old am I? I had always chalked up my lack of age marks to healthy diet and exercise. What if there are some other powers at work? Why can't I age? What happens to me every 25 years that causes me to commit brutal crimes and then wipe my memory clean? What really transpired before I lost my memory in the year 2000. And if I have connected the dots correctly, then what will happen to me in the year 2025? Is my wife safe around me? Do I tell her what I've learned? Am I going crazy? This seemed too surreal to be true. But I have decided I must get to the bottom of this. I must find out where Bromwell Lindman, where I, originated. How far can this rabbit hole possibly go? I will keep you updated on what I discover. This is a really good story. Yeah. I really like research. I like I like the procedural aspect of of going down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole and and getting to the sickening outcome, you know. It's it's, it's by the books. You know, it's simple, it's clean, and yeah. it was written well. I had, I had no problem with that. I I also think that's a nightmare. That's a Absolutely. fucking nightmare. Yeah. Knowing that you're gonna fucking werewolf out at some point in your in your in your next approaching time span of twenty twenty some years, like knowing that you're gonna kill people around you. Yeah, but can't you like prepare for that type of thing? I'd like to think you could, and that's the argument I was trying to make in my uh-huh. head. But if you knew how to prepare, wouldn't you also know how to get out? If you built the box, wouldn't you also know the box's weaknesses? Oh, eventually, yeah. Yeah, but then you then you compromise on those weaknesses. It's it's tough. It's a tough argument. Yeah. It's a tough argument, and I'm not Batman. So, 
I'm going to let you read again, but I'm going to read everything that's bolded. And this is kind of a conversation over a radio, but I'm going to read a couple of voices here. Okay. I'm going to let you take this next one because I want to finish out with with the shitty story that we're the the the, the most terrifying story I think I've read in a while. Okay. Um, so I'm going to let where am I take this next one, and this one's going to be an, a shared conversation of sorts. These last two kind of fall under the same vein of like interview or dialogue, so it's going to be a little bit like a little radio drama which is interesting because it's called Voice on the Radio also from Reddit No Sleep I open the present what the fuck is this shit oh wow grandpa thanks he pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose and said oh it's a ham radio son I used to have one when I was younger it's got a hundred mile range so you can talk to people all the way out in Fairview. Real conversations, not not the text messages or emails you all use these days. I'll even let you use my old license and call sign. Yeah, I'm uh I'm never gonna do any of that. Sounds great, Grandpa. Let's set it up together. Uh yeah, cool. He spent two hours setting it up, showing me how to operate it, and telling me stories about the other hams he'd met over the years. He switched it on and got in contact with some gruff-sounding dude out in Fairview. They had a lively discussion about how the FCC was oppressing their constitutional rights. I caught a movie with Jeremy and got some free pancakes at IHOP and turned in early. A mediocre birthday, like always. I have a bad habit of drinking soda before bed, and, as usual, I ended up staring at the ceiling, wide awake. I browsed Reddit for a while, but you can only see so many cat pictures before they all start to look the same. I flicked the ham radio and fiddled with the tuner. Other than the uh, police band and the air traffic tower, and some guy ranting about the Federal Reserve, it was quiet. I sighed, laid back in bed, started to doze off. That's when I heard it. At first, I thought I imagined it, that I was half awake, half asleep, state when where you start to think your, uh, where your thoughts start to play tricks on you. I thought maybe I had started dreaming before I was fully asleep, and it hallucinated a sound, a sound like a voice calling through the static. I listened for a moment. Nothing, just a dream. I turned over on my side and closed my eyes. I snapped back awake. There it was again. For certain this time. A voice calling out, as if from a great distance. It was coming from the radio. I turned up the volume as far as it would go, but all I could still hear was only the faintest sound, like someone calling from the bottom of a well. I adjusted the tuner for better reception, but it didn't help. I picked up the microphone and spoke into it. Hello? The voice stopped. There was a moment of silence. Then the voice called out again, more clearly this time. Hello? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? I suddenly felt very stupid. It was probably just another weirdo survivalist out in the woods who wanted to babble about EMP blasts or the gold standard or something. 
there was something in his voice, urgency, that was hard to ignore. There was a fluctuation in the static, and the voice came in again. Hello? He said something else. Something in what I assumed was German. I'm sorry, I can't understand you. I only speak English. He spoke again. I could hear how thick his accent was. Please, I ask, I ask you, when are you? Where am I? I'm in Chester. Where am I? <laughs> About 40 miles outside Fairview. Where am I? No, no. The static started to overtake the voice again. When are you? Excuse me? What time? What year? I stared at the radio. This is one of those ham weirdos that Grandpa was talking about. I shook my head and chuckled a little. Uh, it's 2013, dude. There was an excited barrage of German that turned desperate when the static started drowning them out. Please, I must ask you, please wait. Then nothing. I set the microphone down. Great. Another outlet for creepers to say creepy shit. We don't have enough of those in the world. I switched the radio off and went to sleep. What the fuck is that shit? Jeremy said. I rolled my eyes. Ham radio. Uh, my grandpa got it for my birthday. That's hilarious. Does it work? Yeah, 100 mile range. It's stupid though. The police band is sort of interesting, but other than that, it's just survivalists and conspiracy nuts. That's awesome. We should pretend we're under siege during a zombie attack, like do some War of the Worlds shit with this thing. I laughed. I don't know, man. It's just a lot of weirdos on there. Like the other day, I was listening to it, and this one guy, Jeremy, switched on the radio, and immediately I heard a frantic voice calling out. Hello, hello. This guy, I said. This guy is a fucking psycho. Dude, sweet. I love talking to psychos. Jeremy picked up the microphone. Hello? Hello. The voice sounded overjoyed. Please, do not go. I do many fixes to machine. Transmission is very much better. Jeremy giggled. Dude, you've got fucking Bruno on your radio. He spoke into the mi microphone. Yeah, das ist gut. Much sound. Bravo. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? I've had a few semesters, yeah. They spoke back and forth in German for a bit. What do you say? I asked. Jeremy sat back and shook his head. This guy is a piece of work. I asked him where he's located and he said long ago, many years in your past. When I talked to him, he wanted to know what year it was. He's playing a prank. He probably goes on here, pretends to be a time traveler to troll the survivalists, and then puts the recording up on YouTube. It's actually pretty brilliant if you ask me. Ask him how he's communicating from the past. Jeremy spoke into the microphone. There was an excited flood of German coming from the other end. What's he saying? I have no fucking idea. I thought you spoke German. Level three. If he was describing the animals he was seeing on a safari, I could maybe follow him, but he's talking about, like, particle tunnels and chaotic duality waves or something? I, I don't think I could understand him even if I was fluent. 
The voice on the radio sighed and took a long pause. Then, with heaviness in his tone, he said, Please, tell me about your world. I scoffed. We should switch it off. Jeremy looked shocked. Why? He's fucking with us. So? He's doing a great job of it. Don't be such a downer. This is the most interesting conversation I've had in a while, so I said, fuck it, let's play Time Travelers. We told him about our future world. We described airplanes, self-driving cars, spaceships, uh, microchips. We tried to describe a smartphone, which was difficult to do with the voice's shitty English and Jeremy's shitty German. He was fascinated by the internet awestruck by the moon landing, and greatly amused when we played some daft punk as an example of futuristic culture. Jeremy spent a weird amount of time talking about his Vitamix, and through it all, the voice kept repeating, Beautiful, so beautiful. Okay, enough about us, uh, mine hair. Jeremy uh, said. Your turn, uh, you tell us about your world. A long silence. My world. The voice said. It's very dark, bad things happening. I do not know how, how we will escape the shadow. This guy is a great improviser. Jeremy said. Please, my friends, I have, I have question. It is very important, I must ask you. Jeremy smiled. Sure, man, go ahead. The voice asked something in German. Jeremy frowned. Suddenly, there was a noise like breaking glass from the radio. The voice gasped. Nine! Nine! There were other voices, angry voices, clamoring and shouting. It sounded like a crowd was in the room. They were wreaking havoc, loud bangs and thuds, like furniture being turned over. The voices grew louder and louder. There was a tremendous crash. Then silence. I looked over at Jeremy. What the fuck happened? He shook his head. I don't know. Other people were there. They were saying dog, worthless dog, over and over again. It sounded like they smashed the place up. I fiddled with the tuner, but there was no sign of the voice. Jeremy and I sat quietly for a moment. His question, I said. What did he ask you? Jeremy stared at the radio. He said, can they be stopped? Too much soda again. Another insomniac night. I counted the cracks in the ceiling over and over, over and over. My eyes began to feel heavy at last. A burst of static from the radio made my heart jump. I shot upright in bed and looked over. The static faded out and the voice faded in. He was speaking German, quite softly. Anger flared on my chest. I was sick of this, sick of him, his stupid pranks, I wanted to smash that goddamn radio to pieces. I grabbed the mic and shouted, Leave me alone for Christ's sake! I don't care about your stupid fucking time travel act. Just stop bothering me and leave me alone. But he just spoke over me, like he couldn't hear me at all. His voice was shaky and quiet. I couldn't understand what he was saying, but I could feel great sadness in his tone. I grabbed my phone and opened the voice recorder. I sat there, listening, recording, until he was finished speaking. 
I sat in silence for a few minutes to make sure nothing else was coming through. Then I switched the radio off. I sent an audio file to Jeremy with an explanation of what had happened. I asked him to translate. The next day at school, he handed me a sheet of paper at lunch. He didn't say anything. He just handed it to me and walked away. It reads, My friends, I do not know if you can hear me. I do not know if you could ever hear me, or if I was imagining our encounter. But I do hope you are out here. The machine is critically damaged. Perhaps with a great deal of work it could be repaired, but I doubt I will have either the resources or the time necessary for such a task. I am deeply saddened that we could not speak further. There are so many questions I wanted to ask. So much more I wanted to learn about your world. Please know that in our brief time we were able to speak. You gave a tired man a reason to continue living. I know now that the madness that has gripped my country cannot be stopped. I tell my son to be strong. I tell that our people have endured for thousands of years. I tell them that if we were strong enough to build the pyramids, we are strong enough to withstand a few grunting apes in jackboots. But he knows I am afraid too. We are marching forward into a nightmare that will take a terrible toll on all of us. I do not know when it will end. The only thing I can cling to is the fact that somehow our world will lead to yours. I think of your world, and I feel something I haven't felt in many years. An emotion almost unknown to the people of my time. I feel hope. For in a world such as yours, a world of such wondrous invention and progress, what use could there be for war? What reason for hunger? What tolerance for injustice? I know in my heart that you have solved the problems that have plagued our species and created a world enduring peace and unity. I do not know how such a world could spring from the darkness that is enveloping this continent, but I hope that the future is as beautiful as you described it. I hope you have built the world that we could not. I hope you have learned from our mistakes. I hope you treat each other with the dignity and respect that is the birthright of all humanity. I hope you have forgotten the word for hate. I hope that things are different. Goodbye, my friends. From the shadows, Dr. Albert Bachman, Frankfurt, Germany, November 12th, 1938. A prank. That's all it was. I don't even know why I'm posting this. Uh, there's no way it has actually some sci-fi miracle. Uh, it was obviously just someone with too much time on their hands playing a big joke on us. Uh, he's probably listening to the recordings laughing at us right now. Just a prank. But I still keep the radio on at night. I'll switch it on as I'm lying in bed. And sometimes when I start to drift off, I think I hear a distant voice calling out in the dark. A voice from the shadows. Tiny and frail, yet full of, full of hope. And I'll sit in bed and listen. I'll listen for a sound, a word, anything. 
but I'll never hear more. Just my mind playing tricks on me. I don't sleep much anymore. Probably because I drink too much soda. Right? Right? That's, that's always the answer, is too much soda. Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably the reason I don't sleep. Maybe. That's fair. Definitely not for want of my my marijuana use. Yeah. That that knocks me the fuck out. Uh, marijuana actually keeps me up. Oh, keeps you hype? It doesn't keep me hype, <laughs> but it keeps my mind moving. I like that story. Yeah. That was fun. That felt that felt emotional. Mm-hmm. That felt like it had some weight. So far, all these stories are really good. Yeah. That I one. really like the am I this everlasting being man. That murders people. Yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> Everlasting, immortal, Dorian Gray, murderer, werewolf man. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I'm going to bring us down a couple levels with this terrifying story. I mean, I think this story is terrifying. The concept is a little terrifying. Um, I've had this story spoiled for me by a, a reader of the show when they wanted me. They want me to read it, and naturally I needed to know what it was. So, uh... Without further ado, I'm going to read The Pancake Family. That pail, huh? Jesus, I bet I look like a ghost. I feel like I bled out two gallons. What? No, not a scratch. Sorry to ramble, it's just that I'm... What's the word for it? Detached. Strange feeling. Seen it enough times in the field, sort of figured if... I was ever going to experience it myself, then I would have experienced it by now. Hell of a thing. I feel like I'm floating outside of my body. Just cut the cord and I'd float away. Did you see the crime scene? Don't. Don't look at the pictures. Don't even touch the file. You'll thank me. I can't get my knees to stop rattling. Is that why you're holding on to your coffee like that? I'm shaking the table, aren't I? Hold on a second. Let me back up my chair. There. There. That's better. We've got to go official now, Hob. Can you confirm for the record that you're waiving your right to an attorney? No, I'm still not interested in an attorney. I mean, yes, I'm waiving my rights. Sorry. And I'm as sound of mind as I'll ever be. Are you sure? Yes. Like the records show that Detective Hobson, Millgate, retired has waived his right to an attorney. I won't need a lawyer after the DA stops puking and considers taking it public. They're not showing that to a jury. Are you ready to begin? No, but I'll talk anyway. What led you to the crime scene on the night in question? Would you believe I was planning on a fishing trip before this started? Never mind. Hold on, I'm thinking. It's hard to organize it. Never been on this side of the interrogation table before. I guess it started with the reporter, name of Bamer. She contacted me a week ago by email and claimed she had new information on the Driscoll murders. I was the lead investigator. The case had gone unsolved for 20 years. Cold as ice. Frankly, I thought it was all bullshit at first. You know how that can be. Most of the time, it's not even on purpose. Everyone thinks they know something that'll crack a case wide open. Theories are easy when you don't have to check them against evidence. The Driscoll murders were a big story around these parts. 
lots of interest. Lots of press. <laughs> I feel like this guy's like smoking cigarettes as he's telling the story, so yeah. I just think it's I think it's poignant that I, I toke up. The Driscoll murders were a big story around these parts. Lots of interest, lots of press over the years. I must have gotten a couple hundred shit theories. When I retired, I handed the investigation over to De Detective Carroll, but I didn't want him to be bothered. I know he's busy with the recent gag activity. I figured I'd check it out as a courtesy. I wasn't expecting it to go anywhere. I met her for lunch at Per Year's Cafe, good-looking blonde gal professional. So she didn't fit the typical profile of a hoaxer, a conspiracy theorist. Not that I put too much faith in profiles. She also might have been one of those creepy gals that gets off on death. God knows I've dealt with that too. I still thought she might be pulling my leg or maybe she had been fooled too. But she had a file with her. Looking legit, it contained what appeared to be a confession by the Driscoll. Well, he wasn't a murderer, was he? I really do wish he had been, you know. It would have been so much better for everyone. Can you please fill us in on the relevant details of the Driscoll case? Let's see. It would have been 20 years ago now, thinking of all those years. I mean, 20 goddamn years. It's a long time to be. Take your time, Hob. Thanks. <clears throat> the Driscolls were a family of six out in the suburbs, up on middle class. Father was an attorney, mother ran her own business selling pottery out of the house. Four children, all high school age and below, good kids, on a roll. No crime record to speak of. The oldest son was caught smoking dope. At his high school once, but nothing much besides that, just the typical stuff you would find when you look at people too closely. They disappeared October 13th, 1994. No trace was found of the bodies. The mystery and seeing as how it was right around Halloween is probably what made the press go crazy. You still see it show up on some of the unsolved mystery shows. A whole family disappeared and no one saw a goddamn thing. No one knew where they went. A neighbor lodged a sound complaint, which is how we got involved. There was an alarm going off, and they figured it might be an intruder or something. We dispatched a vehicle. When no one answered the door, the patrolman went in to investigate. There were obvious signs of a struggle in the youngest daughter's bedroom. The bed had been flipped over, and the sheets were torn. The alarm was a carbon monoxide detector. We found elevated concentrations of carbon monoxide in the fabric of all the bedspreads except the youngest daughters. We wouldn't have known to look without the alarm. The neighbor indicated the alarm had been sounding for over a day and he'd been unable to get anyone to answer the door during that time. We also found several aluminum canisters and some hoses in a dumpster a few blocks away. At the time, we assumed the Driscolls had been gassed and disposed of at a different location, excepting, of course, the daughter who woke up at the end and put up a struggle. The investigation gave no leads. Of course, our first thought was that the father did it. We checked it out. He didn't have a motive. No leads to follow upon. Same with the mother. Surviving family checked out clean, too. The father had a few clients who might have had a motive, but that means we weren't there. He was a divorce lawyer. 
but not for anybody who could have taken out an entire family without leaving evidence. There was a chemistry teacher who lived three blocks away, and we investigated him for a while because of the canisters, he, but he alibied out. Same with a dentist who lived nearby. The wife had an online flirtation with some kid out in England, but nothing adulterous. He wasn't even in the country at the time of the murder. We settled unhappily on the idea of a random killing, hardest pieces of shit to catch when there's no pattern like that. We must have sunk tens of thousands of man-hours into this case, chasing down leads, and nothing ever came of any of it. We did track down the canisters that were stolen from a laboratory ten miles away. There was no security footage. We couldn't find any leads on the thief. After six months, with no repeat attacks, the investigation went cold. The Driscolls had been knocked out and abducted. Like I said, no one ever found the bodies. Who was to say they hadn't just run off? Until... Well... I'd rather only talk about that once. What can you tell us about how the confession wound up with Miss Bamer? She'd been following the case for some years, both personally and as a reporter. Like I said, it captured the imagination of a lot of people. Even seemingly normal folks thought it could have been aliens, ghosts, demons. Miss Bamer published a retrospective on the murders given the 20-year anniversary. It caused a renewed interest with which happened from time to time. As usual, I declined to comment, citing lack of new evidence, and I remember her asking for my quote, though, which is why I accepted the lunch meeting. After publication of the article, Miss Bamer claimed that she had been sent a file. She wished to have my authentication. The most pertinent part of the file was a confession. I assured Miss Bamer that such false documents are not uncommon, especially on older cases like this, and that I'd personally heard two dozen confessions of the Driscoll murders. She was insistent. Once I felt she wasn't trying to pull off a hoax or getting off on the idea of talking about murder, I agreed to the meeting. She stated the confession had been mailed to her in the same envelope she showed to me when we met for lunch. Can you describe its contents? Old newspaper clippings outlining the progress of my investigation. They seemed appropriately yellowed, so I'd guess they were from the trophy book of the perpetrator. They were also six photos alleging to be of the individual members of the Driscoll family as well as several other photos of the facility where they had been taken. Look at that. My hands won't stop shaking, see? I'm trying as hard as I can and I just can't make it happen. I'll have to ask the paramedic for a sedative when I'm done with this statement. I don't think I'll be able to sleep otherwise. No, I'm, I'm fine for now. I don't want anything to interfere with my recollection for your recording. Just carrying it around in my head is like... Sorry, I'll stay focused. The photos were of the Driscoll family, of course. At the time, I didn't know that. The photos had aged poorly, and they could have been of anyone. It was very hard to distinguish features. However, given the elaborate nature of the file, I figured it did warrant a further look. As to the confession letter, well, it was brief. 
It gave an address. That's the first thing I noticed. I couldn't locate the address online, which meant it had to be old. The confession letter said, Stop printing lies. I never killed anyone. It just took a while to get them ready for breakfast. There was no signature. I just remembered something. God damn it. We got sent a breakfast menu a month after the disappearance. Someone had drawn a red circle around a picture of pancakes. The letter said, they're not dead, they're getting ready for breakfast. They're not dead, they're getting ready for breakfast. We put it in a junk lead file. Oh, oh God. Detective Milgate, do you need a moment? Oh, God, I... How could I have known? We tried to track down that menu. We could never find out where it had come from. It wasn't any place local. The identifying information had been cut out. I don't know what else we could have done. I just... Dear God. Why did you decide to personally investigate the location mentioned in the letter? Sorry. I wanted to make sure it wasn't a hoax. I still wasn't convinced. I had 20 years of people sending me fake evidence. I guess maybe the case captured my imagination, too. I always figured one day I'd think of something I'd overlooked and solved the whole thing. Felt unbelievable to have someone dump the answer in my lap. I needed to see it with my own two eyes. Miss Bamer had pinpointed the location with city records, but neither of us was sure if it was still there. It was an abandoned industrial building. The last time it had a valid mailing address was 50 years ago. It might have caved in for all we knew. I think I also wanted to be the one to crack it. Whether or not it was dumped in my lap, that case has hung over my head for 20 years. Miss Bamer and I agreed to meet there the following morning. Can you describe the crime scene? Yes. It was an industrial building, as I stated, approximately 120 feet long, maybe by 45 feet wide. It was a wooden structure, and at first the conditions seemed to match the neighboring buildings. However, I noticed the facade had been recently patched in a few locations. Further investigation also revealed that the entrance had been chained and locked. My understanding was that it used to be a sheet metal shop, at least. Excuse me, is there a garbage can? I might vomit. Thank you. We... <clears throat> Sorry, I thought it was... I thought it was empty. I... No, I want to get this done with, and I'm going to want that sedative. I, I could smell something from inside the building. Very faintly. I figured that would count as probable cause. Not that I need it as a civilian, but you never forget the way a corpse smells. They were bad enough that they had that same smell. I hadn't forgotten how to pick a lock, so I let myself in. You know, I really do wish they had been corpses. I really do wish she had been a serial killer. I really do. Please say you believe me. I do. Can you describe the interior of the building? 
trying to focus through this. I'm, I really am. I'm sorry. I, it's just that I'd, I'd like to go to sleep after this for a very long time. Is there a paramedic here? Is the sedative ready? Thank goodness. The warehouse had not been as abandoned as we were previously led to believe. The interior had a hallway with six rooms. The construction was old, but visibly newer than the rest of the building. The walls between each room had been soundproofed. There was no windows to the outside or doorways between the rooms themselves. The only access was through the hallway. I, I tried to make Miss Bamer leave at this point. You see, the smell was stronger inside. You could feel it, the smell, like a grit getting stuck in your nose, like bits of sand all over your skin. The rooms, uh, the rooms contained presses, hydraulic presses, four foot by eight foot custom presses. I couldn't figure out what they were at first because they were hovering over what looked like hospital beds. There were IV bags in each room as well as other medical equipment. That's how he kept them alive for so long, of course. I think I might be seeing black spots. Do you need to take a break? The idea of having to start this again is worse than the idea of finishing it. Then, uh, please describe your next course of action. The building was obviously an active crime scene. I had no doubt at this point. I was in the lair of what I believed to be a serial killer. I tried to tell Miss Bamer to leave several times. She refused on the grounds that it would not be right to leave me on my own. There wasn't much time to make an issue out of it. My opinion of her was that she had, was a bit nosy but basically all right, and I didn't think she'd be a liability if she stayed out of my way. I had to make a judgment call as to whether or not I should proceed on my own in case the family was somehow impossibly still alive and perhaps in danger, or if I should leave and call for backup. I had told my wife where I was going previously, so I knew my absence would be noted and reported if the worst happened. Neither of us could get cell phone reception. Sorry, I'm rambling. I. It was then that I heard not even a gasp. It was like a gasp, but not really. I don't want to describe it any more than that. There was a sound. It drew my attention further on. I had to act, and that's all that matters. There were some stairs at the very end of the warehouse descending into a basement, and I told Miss Bamer to remain behind, and I pulled my service revolver. I had a flashlight on my person as well and turned it on as I descended into the basement. The basement had been hand-dug, maybe even over the course of the entire 20-year disappearance, I don't know. The floor was dirt, and there was a tunnel that retreated back far enough that it had to be supported with struts at regular intervals when my flashlight first illuminated the stack. I wished they'd been dead. I wished he'd been a serial killer. Please take a moment. After I... After I 
recovered, my first thought was, thank God they are all dead. I'm 64 years old, for Christ's sake. I'm not a young man that can forget things anymore. When you're young, you have this sense that you're invincible and that you're never going to die. I don't have that to protect me anymore. Look at me whining when they had that done to them. It's my fault. I should have found them, saved them, somehow. I'm sorry, Hob, I've got to ask. Can you describe the scene? Yeah. <coughs> I can. I didn't know what I was looking at at first. Hell, I still don't. It was... Well... It was a stack. Maybe... Two feet thick from the stink and coloring it was obviously made of flesh I thought maybe he hacked them up and stacked them into pieces that would have been bad enough the first thing that alerted me to the truth was the eyeball <laughs> this is too much Keep going. <laughs> the eyeball on the top of the stack was perfectly round in the middle of a socket that had been distorted to the size of a saucer that's when I realized what I was looking at was 20 goddamn years of torture, basically. He had the entire Driscoll family under those presses for 20 years, keeping them alive on an IV drip, increasing the pressure on them so very slowly that their bodies had time to adapt until they'd flattened, like... Well, like pancakes. He squished them by about a quarter inch every year for 20 years. Then he pulled them out, and when they were too broken and wretched to move without any chance of recovery, and stacked them on top of each other. I've gotten no idea what for. I don't want to know. And I was still thinking, thank God, they're all dead, when the one on top started gasping again. What did they say? Nothing at first. It couldn't speak without help. I think it would... I think it would have been Avery Driscoll. Not that I could tell much about the gender or the age, but the hair was blonde where there was hair. The head was a mess of scars, I think. The son of the bitch who did this must have removed parts of their skull. I've got no idea how he got their heads so flat. Otherwise, it's not as flat as the rest of their bodies, but flat. But who the hell knows how their brains handled that? Their lips were punctured by teeth everywhere after the presses had flattened out their noses, I guess. Avery was 14 when he disappeared. I've stopped shaking. Goddamn weird the way our bodies work, isn't it? What else? There was a machine, a sort of pump. I followed a hose with my flashlight and I realized everyone in the stack was hooked up to a pump. 
I don't think they could breathe on their own, you see, not after a while. There simply wasn't enough volume for their lungs to inflate. There was some sort of opening cut right into each of their chests. There was a switch on the pump. I don't know why I pressed it. I was in a panic. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> I am I'm way fucking high. <laughs> and, like, I just need a minute to fucking breathe. <laughs> I think of it far more cartoony than it sounds because I saw a funny picture online. Fair enough. <laughs> just give me... Give me, like, three minutes. <laughs> Do you want me to finish it without you? No, no, no. I'll, I'll come back. Because that was the worst it, it gets, yeah. I think. I think. Which is why I need a fucking breather. <laughs> this is a lots of pasta first. We need a second to fucking calm down. This, I squirmed when we read, um, Saint Smalls. Like, that, that pressed all my buttons. No, this, this reads me as impossible. <laughs> I don't know. I think the room might be not helping. The studio. Yeah, like just the smallness. <laughs> you feel? Do you feel like a big old pancake? <laughs> but like, I know that I'm just stoned. Oh no, I'm I'm baked out of my mind. But I, I got I got wrapped into more being the character who's just reading the words yeah. than realizing what the words are actually saying. There was a switch on the pump. I don't know why I pressed it. I was in a panic. I wanted to do something. Maybe some stupid part of me thought that if it had a switch on it, that they would inflate and be okay. I switched it. I switched it. It increased the volume of air to the topmost hose. And I could hear the pump working harder. Which is when Avery Driscoll started to scream. He begged me to kill him. He said other things too, he didn't make much sense. He kept yelling, Bane of Error, over and over again. Something about the family, too. Didn't understand it. He was in pain and I would hope he had gone insane several years previously. I didn't know what to do. He wouldn't stop screaming. I believe he was convinced I was his torturer. A closer look at his eye revealed that it was mostly a mess of white scar tissue. He was as blind as a bat. You know, I, I spoke with some burn victims once. They told me that they managed to find meaning and purpose after a while. I didn't know how anyone in the Driscoll family could do something like that. I stated my name. I told him I was a detective. I told him I was there to help. I repeated it over and over, knowing, of course, that there was nothing that anyone anywhere could do to help. Miss Bamer arrived, drawn by the sound, and before she saw the stack, she told me that I had screamed and she had come to help, but I do not remember having done so. Nevertheless, she arrived. Then she saw the stack and screamed, but I was intent on Avery Driscoll. He was unable to hear. He became lucid for a few moments. It was a strain to understand what he said, but I will never be able to forget it. 
please kill me. It hurts. I don't want to be a mobster. Please kill me and tell my family I died a long time ago. I don't know if they're still looking for me. Don't let them know what happened to me. Please kill me. He could still cry, and he did, although his tear ducts were too deformed for it to be noticeable. I should have forced Miss Bamer to leave. That is the only action in the matter which I regret more than failing to solve this case 20 years ago, not just for her own sake, but for what she did next. I don't think she could have wounded them any more deeply if she'd tried. She took away the last comfort any of them in that stack had, you see. They had not been able to speak to one another for 20 years. She said, that's all of them, isn't it? That's the entire Driscoll family. They're all alive in there. The whole family. For 20 years, each member of the Driscoll family had been unaware their fellow inmates were the other members of their family. They'd been holding out hope their family was okay, all of them dreaming someone out there loved them and was free from suffering. Do you know what the screams of six people tortured over two decades smashed down to a width of four inches sounds like when they're all stacked on top of one another? It sounds like the gates of hell swinging open. I think that is enough, okay? Not yet. It was my mistake. I should have tried harder. Track down that lead. Maybe that's what they meant, screaming that. That was my error. So it was my responsibility. I shot them. Mercy is hard, but I owed it to them. I am the one that failed to save them. It only took one bullet to go all the way through. I emptied my revolver, though to make sure they didn't linger, to give them that final peace. It was the only kindness I had to give them. We left and called for backup after that. Neither Miss Bayman nor I wished to remain with the bodies. I elected not to follow the crime scene investigators back into the basement. I asked if I could make my statement and leave. After one of them saw what I had seen, they agreed. May I have my sedative now? Yes. Yes, of course. Thank you. Please show in the paramedic. I'll roll up my sleeve. My wife has diabetes, so I'm well aware of the routine. Oh, and please make sure you have the same courtesy available for Miss Bamer. She seemed to have it worse than me after. Poor woman couldn't even throw up or cry. Of course. Uh, do you know where she is now? She told the lead at the crime scene. She was going home, but we haven't been able to reach her. Did you try the paper? Which paper? The Daily World. Are you sure? There is no one by the last name of Bammer on the staff with the Daily World. Which is a crazy fucking ending. Yeah, the, the end of the story fucking changes. It changes fucking everything about that story because you have this, like, horrible fucking... 
mm-hmm. procedural drama, you know, this, this exit interview of this terrible investigation that reminds me almost a little bit of like, um, was it Heavy Rain? That Detective Cage oh, yeah, yeah. movie or yeah. game on the PS fucking three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a detective thing, you know, hunting down a killer. Like, you know, there's a there's a book series about the Snowman Killer. That was a really bad Michael Fassbender movie. Um, you know, there's a girl with the dragon tattoo. Like someone just killing people in weird ways. Mm. Silence of the Lambs. It did you know. give me a little bit of the um, Hannibal Zodiac. Cannibal. Zodiac. Zodiac. Another yeah. another another you know, popular one. If we were to look in real time who would have done something as fucked up with that, I would have said, like, uh, Ed Gein. Ed Gein was was known for killing women and taking pieces of their flesh and, like, sewing stuff, making, like, lampshades out of their fucking skin and stuff. Like, that's the craziest that exists on this human plane, but I don't know... I don't know what type of fucking evil genius super villain joker cockamamie thing came up with the idea of putting someone's body under a hydraulic press I think the idea of being flattened is so simply impossible because we have have bones it's simply impossible internal bleeding you know we we, something needs to it needs to exist with structure because if my heart was, is falling back on my lungs and I don't have anything to kind of sort them out or keep them the way they are. My lungs would just flatten and I'd die. You know, that's why they said, that, like, the ventilated press, like, pumping air into them, that's not enough. That's not enough to stay alive. They, they would flatten and, and you mm-hmm. would you would fucking die or you would bleed out. Like, let alone, what, what are you doing for food? They're hooked up to IVs. That <laughs> yeah. doesn't... IVs does not equal eating mm-hmm. and drinking. People go... People will starve on IVs. Well, that's the People, thing is they weren't they weren't moving either, so they weren't using they weren't, energy. They weren't burning anything, but but existing burning. Yeah, existing burns. Like that's why that's why a dude goes into a coma weighing four hundred pounds wakes up at fucking three hundred. Yeah, because your body is still expending to keep you fucking alive. It's still working. You're just not there for it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and. I don't know. You remove bones and it's like nothing nothing about a human body works anymore. So it's like I imagine just vessels collapse, entire parts of you just collapse and you would just die. So like it's really hard for me to like believe the story's real, but I, I have to put myself into the perspective of the reality of the story and still thinking that that's like a grotesque fucking sight to just walk in upon. Mm-hmm. Just a, a fucking, I yeah. I can't help, and you can hate me for this as much as you want. I can't help but enjoy the cheekiness of the guy who did it and be like, "They're late for breakfast." <laughs> like, like that was fucked yeah. up. That's kind of what I liked about it. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, oh, they're just getting ready for breakfast. It's like some fucked up Joker somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like clearly, if you're doing something demented, there's got to be something demented about you same with like the chick but doesn't it also but doesn't it also stand right like why did she get this who is she yeah like, what bearing does she have on the story did is she the one who is she did the this, one that did this and she just wanted to finally let them let yeah, them know to, but to like basically poke the bear but what's the whole 
yeah. breakfast thing. <laughs> yeah. We all have our little shticks. I know, but like, okay, okay, okay. And you know, you know how I rationalized it in my head? Gacy. Hmm. Gacy dressed up like a fucking clown. He lured people in. He was dressed like a fucking clown. People, yeah, you're right. People have their shticks. Ramirez was the all I'm like I'm Satan you know always cutting his hand and shit like yeah you're right they got their gimmicks they're they're known they're known for their eccentricities so and it's just so hard to believe that someone would actually go through the trouble of cutting like all of the bones out of a person Mm -hmm. (laughs) just so they could exist as a pancake man or a woman, <laughs> it's, it's just so hard for me to believe. Um, but that doesn't make it any less terrifying. Only a no sleep story can go to this depth and fuck with you this much. Certainly, yeah. It's like the first time I read Baraska, I was just like breathless afterwards. Like, you find out that the entire twist is that. The, the girls in town go missing because they're abducted and put in a baby mill run by three vicious rapists. It's like, you think it's some wondrous thing, like, oh, these monsters came down from the mountain and yeah. the urban legends and you think Bigfoot is fucking your sister or something and you're just <laughs> like, nope, it's just the world is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people are capable of Disgusting, terrible, horrible things. Horrible things. <laughs> and, um, and then you find out that when they're no longer capable of producing children, when they're no longer ripe, they just, they toss them in a fucking grinder and burn the ashes. <laughs> Baraska had one of the craziest twists of all times. <laughs> like, you're reading fucking a hundred pages about a kid's uncomfortable pubescence in high school and all of a sudden it twists into baby mill (laughs) and you're just like oh fuck just like how this one is like detectives retired detective interview spirals downward into literal literal hellscape hellscape fucking torture scene it's some yeah, it's some saw level shit. Yeah, it's some crazy shit. It elicited a reaction out of you. Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of saw shit that I can't stomach. Oh, I I just can't. Yeah, no, I don't I don't fault you at that. There are definitely some some spots where I I rack my brain a bit. Oh, and there's still definitely some physical violence and stuff you know watching on screen that I can't. I can't stomach. I don't. I don't like stuff with fingers, teeth, mm-hmm. eyes. I don't mm. like any of that. <laughs> I care too much about my. I uh, actually. I often think my it's, it's a weird. It's a weird tingling. thing. It's a weird thing to think about. But like, could you imagine having one of your like arms chopped off? Um. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I can. I can, but I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I stuck my shirt into my sleeve so I only have a chicken wing. I'd rather um, lose a leg than lose. It would an arm. make gaming suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would rather lose Notice a leg. Notice how than I'm lose not an arm. down on about my life at all. I still think I'd be able to get laid even with only one arm, but like uh you know, I'd stick my entire nub into the <laughs> vagina. I feel like you like that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's bigger than my dick. So 
yeah, no, I've I've been asking to get my feet chopped off for years, <laughs> not because I have a th- I'm, I'm not kinky about it or anything. I just my ankles <laughs> constantly roll, and yeah. I am I am always in compression sleeves, and I am I'm taken out of out of fucking commission over weekends sometimes. Like after that Halloween party, my next weekend was spent on the couch because I fucking pulled something. It's funny though. At Disney, didn't pull shit. Got back from Disney, didn't pull shit. Because you were prepared for that. I you was. were you you had I the proper foot. You know where you were. You were cognizant of it, so you were thinking about it. Yeah, I wasn't complaining like frowns, fucking crying to sleep every night. <laughs> <sighs> Farting up a storm. Yeah. Anyway, that's another part of the story that gets me. Can you imagine the smell? The smell Ugh. smells are not good. Yeah, because I've smelled like bile and death and, before. and shit. Like, yeah, literal feet. Because you literal know fecal that as as cleanly as that is, body still shits. Yeah, body still pisses. Your IV is still. Yeah. Your body is still expanding. <laughs> Bless. Thank you. Yeah, no, that story that I I I feel like I didn't warn you enough that that story was gonna be fucked. Um, in, I feel yeah, like no, I no. told you like a week ago. I was like, we're gonna read a really fucked up story, and you were like, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fine. But I never know whose limits are enough. I, I, I read, what's it fucking called? Chuck Palahniuk's guts mm-hmm. to Django. Before we did Dogscape, which I think is episode 37. And Guts is also, like, in the same vein of body horror, terrible things I didn't want to think about. Yeah. And, like, that hits so much more on a personal level because the entire story is about masturbation. And I was a very horny little kid. So I think that that story becomes so much more terrifying when you actually go back and, and re-listen to Guts. But, like, but these types of stories, like, like this one and Sade Smalls and, like, the unsettling stories that deal with high levels of body horror. Like, I just read a story with, um, with Ramsey's Vanderslice where, like, a, a chick's skin melts off. Could you imagine that? Did you imagine that shit? No. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I is like completely drained from this episode. Yeah, it took uh It took him out. He was out of commission. It, it took a physical toll. <laughs> he no, was out of commission my, for my, a little bit. My ears started ringing. It was uh not the pleasantest <laughs> of experiences. <laughs> I'm happy to catch. Uh, I'm sorry for your misfortune, but I'm, eh, but I'm always. Hap- I've dealt with worse. But I'm always happy to catch someone not having a good time on this show because I've done it with frowns. Mm-hmm. I've done it with Tenron. Okay. I've done it with Django. Yeah. And I feel like I've done it with Tom Bogmadil. I've definitely done it with Crying Hawaiian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Crying. He, he the, squirmy one. The the one with you, me, and Crying Hawaiian. That was he did that balls. on, and I, that was the first time. He that, almost needed a second. He yeah. like I, I think he even stood up at one point. Um. He was like, "I need a fucking second. Yeah. Some gross ass shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I I would have been able to power through that one. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. See, but I was in I was in your position for that one where I was becoming the character. So like in my head, 
my processing was flicked off and my acting was on. And you were just hearing my voice and you were just hearing all of these terrible things coming out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but here I was I was consuming and had no mental distraction. Yeah. It's a credit it's a credit to this tiny room. I mm-hmm. like I like this tiny room. Definitely uh plays on your optics. Oh yeah. I often think about doing mushrooms and just sitting back here sometimes. <laughs> yeah? I think I'd have a fun time, honestly. I'd probably, like... I'd probably play, like, a really stupid game. <laughs> like, Super Meat Boy. Like Punch. <laughs> Where you're just a fat guy running around a field. Fucking punching people. <laughs> jam some Super Meat Boy for a week. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, man. That was certainly an episode. Yeah. You still like the immortal man murder my murder someone? Yes, that was definitely my favorite story of the evening. Um, I liked I think, everything we read. Oh I think, yeah, I think everything had a different thing to add, and and it it touches it had on its a own diff- stick. It touches on a different side of no sleep. Yeah, each side kind of touched on a little bit. We had something deathy, something psychological, something mental and procedural and something fucked up <laughs> which is sounds like no sleep which is you know the most important part and I I don't know which one I like the most I think I think Pancake Family is ridiculous but I loved the way it's written mm-hmm. I loved the conversation yeah, the, sounding like the actual setup, people the dialogue. I like that it sounds like actual people I think this done the right way, which is how I'm hoping to do it, like, with the right music behind it, this can probably sound really fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, and I hope it does. And, um, but at the same time, I really liked Pornfield of COG-7. I like that author. I like his imagination. Yeah. It was a weird one. It definitely was a weird one. It was a weird one, but that was its point. It was trying to be weird. Um, I'm still going to imagine it with the duck. Immortal face. man, that's that's totally fine. <laughs> you imagine the crow, the crow slash duck, yeah. spindly penis, as much as you want. Um, I I I like the immortal man one. That mm-hmm. was good. Um, that one definitely felt the most no sleep out of all of them. It had the most the, question marks. The to I am a the I am a person and I am on no sleep to do this. Like yeah. that's that that one felt the most like a no sleep. The radio one felt good. The radio one honestly felt like a really... That one felt like a no sleep, too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just a person posting on no sleep because I think something weird is happening. You know, like... Yeah. Like, the first one and the last one were were the weird types of things that end up on, on no sleep. But the middle two were kind of standard. For yeah, no sleep, textbook. No sleep fair, you know. But it's still... they all They all touch on their stereotypes. They all touch on their little their little parts and I, th- I I really liked this episode I thought this episode was cool as shit you I'm very high man he's still high yeah we, we um, got higher as the story went on I, I <laughs> will take away some key points to this episode I will probably black some out <laughs> so just part, order part of this on, episode doesn't exist for me anymore <laughs> in order to go on uh, stable into life I must forget what <laughs> happened here today 
That's fine. <laughs> I'm sure it'll. Be, it'll exist yeah, forever on I, the digital front. I'm sure. It'll Maybe be don't go back and listen point. to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> this will exist. Oh no! I'll know when idea. to hit pause. This will exist for a millennia on the inner on the interwebs. It was a good time. It was a good time. I got stoned as shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's the game plan. That's that's, that's, that's the like end game. It's like okay, do you want to do this while being really high? It's like, well, oh, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't I? We should. We should. I don't know. We should do shrooms and <laughs> read another story sometime. Maybe yeah. not a story like that though. Yeah. That would have been a bad trip story. <laughs> we'll have to read something a little extra comical. We'll read something stupid. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, any any final thoughts? No. Um. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Yeah. Uh. You know, like like this track. Re repost. Repost the playlist. Subs- subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe to us. and follow. Question. But also hit the I bell. I don't know who I am anymore. And I don't know where twist I it am. twice. Bop it to get the perfect dosage. Who am I? Where am I? Away to the days. Atlanta till we stand at the shore.